welcome again to Faith Reformed Baptist Church. We are still in our study in uh, the Gospel according to Mark. We're still in chapter 13, or the Olivet Discourse. And uh, so if you have your copy of God's Word, please open that uh, scripture with us or open to that scripture and let's go to the Lord again in prayer and ask his anointing and enabling upon us this evening. We certainly need him. His word is true, it's good, it's powerful in itself, but we need that anointing of the spirit that uh, would grant power and life to the preaching of his word. So let's pray. Oh Lord, we need you. We confess, I confess that without your anointing and enabling, I will not be able to say anything clearly that will be of any lasting value. I pray for clarity of thought and clarity of speech and that your people would hear clearly and understand clearly the things that you'd have to speak to us out of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, beginning in uh, verse number one, this is a very a very powerful scripture. As a matter of fact, uh, I think just like I have done before, I think I would like to read the last few verses of Matthew chapter 23 before I read this. As Jesus is uh, pronouncing the indictment against the nation of Israel, the religious leaders, or how they have dishonored and disobeyed him, and how that they are guilty of the blood of the martyrs, the prophets. So I'm going to start in verse 29 and uh, in Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and declare, decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus, you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men, and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar." Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. 
Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then Mark 13, beginning in verse 1. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not return back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And, when, and then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. 
For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day, or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. <coughs> Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, let, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Well, uh, we have uh, made some progress in this uh, study of the Olivet Discourse, at least according to uh, Mark's uh, interpretation or Mark's uh, recording of it. And uh, last time, I think we got down to this uh, part about the coming of the Son of Man. And uh, we've dealt with, uh, with all this section uh, or this chapter up until this point. But there is, uh, uh, let me just hit on the last uh, couple of points that we talked about last time, and that is the flight of believers in verses 14 through 20. Jesus is uh, warning his followers, and he said, and if the Lord had, well, 14 through 20, not 20 through 14. All right, let me start with 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Uh, Luke, as we uh, uh, said before, Luke interprets this or uh, records this as when you see armies surrounding Jerusalem. But there were some abuses that were taking place as those armies surrounded Jerusalem. But he said, he said uh, uh, 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down or enter his house to take anything out. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For those days, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. Now, this is, uh, uh, we talked about this last time, but uh, this is some very uh, strong language that Jesus is using here, and he is warning about how uh, devastating the judgment that is coming is going to be. As a matter of fact, some of the uh, things he said here uh, in verse number 17, he said, and alas for women who are pregnant and for, for those who are nursing infants in those days. In one of the other uh, accounts, he said, uh, pray that your flight be not on the Sabbath. You know, a Sabbath day's journey and, and uh, pray that it be not in winter. In other words, when this thing happens, you've got to get out. You don't have time to stand and wait around. When you see these armies uh, surrounding Jerusalem and the, uh, uh, the desecration of the holy place, and that could even be talking about the uh, sinfulness of the priesthood. And, uh, and he said, when you see this take place, then flee, flee to the mountains and get away. And Jesus, remember in Matthew, or excuse me, Luke 23, when he was uh, being led off to be crucified, do you remember what he said when those women were weeping for him? He stopped and said, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves. Because uh, if they're doing this kind of thing in a green tree, what will they do in the dry? And, uh, and he even said something about uh, 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 how hard it's going to be for women who uh, have uh, children. He said they'll be, uh, they'll be saying things like, it's, I wish I hadn't even had children. This is a terrible, terrible situation that people are going to be enduring. And so Jesus is warning his followers to leave. And uh, we read, or I read this uh, past week about uh, uh, some of the history that was taking place during that time, some of the circumstances that were going on. And uh, during the, uh, probably the five years before the war between uh, Rome and, uh, and Jerusalem or Israel started, when uh, things were, uh, before things really got bad, you probably would have gone to Jerusalem and thought, uh, you know, everything's great here. I don't know what Jesus could have been talking about. But during those years leading up to that time, they were, things started falling apart. 
and they begin to uh, be more and more divided among themselves. And uh, they were divided between the Sadducees who wanted to uh, uh, just get along with the Romans. Why can't we all just get along? Why can't we just work together and uh, uh, not fight against them? And they were basically afraid of the Romans. But then there was the Pharisees and the Zealots. And the Pharisees and Zealots were advocating just all-out revolution. They wanted to just uh, 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 throw off the yoke of Rome. And, uh, and so things, that was bad enough. There's a, a civil war that's working in the people of uh, Israel. And then on top of that, there are corrupt politicians among the Romans. The procurators, uh, like Pontius Pilate was, were corrupt, and the one that uh, was procurator just before the uh, uh, bloodshed actually started in earnest was a fellow by the name of Gessius Floris, and he uh, was procurator uh, from 64 to 66, and he was extremely corrupt. He even stole money from the temple, so how do you imagine that flew with the Israelites. They were really angry about that. And he actually just outright murdered 3,600 people. Just innocent people. And so that was bad enough. And uh, so the uh, uh, things just fell apart. And uh, conflict became uh, apparent even among the people of uh, Israel. And so with all the unrest that was going on, a leader by the name of Cestius Gallus came from Syria down to Jerusalem and besieged it. So this is the first siege. He besieged Jerusalem and uh, he laid siege for the, to the city in such a way that it was bottled up, it was bound up, and no one could come in or go out, and uh, he, he, had it, he had it sealed up, but for some reason, he only stayed six days, and after six days, for no uh, apparent reason, he just left, and so when the zealots saw that, they chased him, and uh, chased his army and defeated them. And because they were able to defeat them, what do you think that did for them politically? That made them look really good and the liberals look really bad. And so they were able to come back and seize power. The radicals were able to seize power and so all-out revolution against Rome had started. But you remember that Jesus had told his followers to flee to the mountains when they saw Jerusalem surrounded by armies. But you can't flee when you're under siege. But then after six days, Cestius just leaves and they get out of Jerusalem. So you see 
how important what Jesus said was. When you see this begin to take place, flee. Don't go back to your house to get anything. Don't go. Uh, don't uh, do anything that is unnecessary. Just flee to the mountains. And so they were able to get away. And then the uh, uh, the next thing we see is that uh, there will be false Christs. Well, let me let me just uh, touch on this also. Verse number twenty says, "And uh, if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved." Now I'm wondering if he's actually talking about the salvation of their souls, or if he's talking about uh, their salvation as a people. And, and uh, even, and here's another thing that had happened. The zealots, in order to keep the Romans from uh, uh, getting their food and things, and make and uh, enticing the Romans to come in and steal from them, they burnt all the food. And so they would have had uh, uh, food and supplies to have resisted the siege for a number of uh, months, maybe even a year or two. But because they burnt the food, the siege only lasted for five months. If it had lasted much more than that, you know what they would have been doing? They would have uh, uh, gone out hunting for the people who had escaped and things. But this uh, was one of those things that uh, God in his providence had worked out. And after the five months, the siege was over with, but everybody was in a terrible condition of murdering one another, murdering family, murdering their children. And it was it was just a terrible time. But he said, uh, if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. And uh, so maybe that's what he's talking about there, that, uh, that the time of the siege was cut short. But uh, he said, but for the elect's sake, so that my people will be protected, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there's the Christ, do not believe it, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders lead us, uh, to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. And so he uh, told them that there would be false Christ, that there would be people that would claim to be the Messiah, and they would be so convincing that many people would follow them and believe them. As a matter of fact, Josephus makes mention of that, how these deceivers were so gifted that even when they were proven false, people would still follow them. It kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? When uh, these some of these uh, televangelists make these uh, uh, huge boo-boos and get exposed for what they really are, 
it doesn't seem to make any difference. They, they, uh, they may acknowledge it and ask for forgiveness, or they may not, but it seems like no, nothing changes. They just keep going, and people keep following, and people keep giving money to them. So <clears throat> that brings us down to uh, our point where we stopped last week, the coming of the Son of Man. And so Jesus says here in verse 24, but <clears throat> in those days after that tribulation, now what tribulation is that? That's that tribulation that's worse than has ever been or ever will be. So if you want to talk about the great tribulation, there it is. But it's not a uh, part of dispensational theology. It's not like the dispensationalist would have us believe. But this great tribulation is something that uh, happened in that generation. This is what Jesus said down in verse number 30. He said, truly, uh, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So that includes everything. He said, <clears throat> so in uh, those days, after that tribulation, I'm back to verse 24, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And so this is... Uh, uh, some signs that, uh, that are going to accompany the return of Christ in this passage of Scripture. These are, uh, and the language that he uses here is Old Testament language. This is uh, the kind of language that uh, has been used many times in the Old Testament, and the people who heard him would know the kind of language that he's using here, that he's not talking about literal stars falling from heaven. He's not talking about a literal uh, sun going dark or the moon not giving its light. What he's talking about is political political collapse. And I can show you proof in the scripture. Isaiah chapter 13. If you'll look with me. Isaiah chapter 13. <clears throat> Verses 9 through 11. Well, let me, uh, let me stop and start in verse number six. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near as destruction from the Almighty. It will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble and every human heart will melt. You notice this is figurative language, right? You know, the heart is not uh, going to melt and just run down into the 
chest cavity, right? It's, he, he's using figurative language. Therefore, all hands will be feeble. Every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Matter of fact, remember that woman in labor. He says these things are the beginning of birth pains, right? Back in chapter 13. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant. And I won't keep on reading, but you know what he's doing here? He is pronouncing the collapse of Babylon. This is a prophecy against Babylon. And the language he uses is that I'm going to put your lights out. I am going to shake you until you won't know which way is up. You're going to see your political system, your uh, leadership, your kingdom is going to fall apart just as if the heavens were falling apart. And then there's uh, other passages in Isaiah chapter 19. Just flip over to chapter 19. Verse number one. <clears throat> An oracle concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt. Okay, so here comes Jehovah on a cloud. He's riding on a cloud. And he's coming to Egypt. And the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence. And the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. And I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians. And they will fight each against another and each against his neighbor, against city, kingdom against kingdom. Do you, do you see any similarities in what's going on in Jerusalem in that day of tribulation? And the spirit of the Egyptians within them will be emptied out and I will confound their counsel and they will inquire of idols and the sorcerers and the mediums and necromancers and I will give over the Egyptians to the land of a hard master and a fierce king will rule over them. And the waters of the sea will be dried up and the river will be dry and parched and its canals be uh, become foul. The branches of Egypt uh, uh, of Egypt's Nile will diminish and dry up. Reeds and rushes will rot away. There will be bare places by the Nile on the brink. It, it just goes on with these these uh, cataclysmic disasters that are going to take place, and they are 
not, uh, and there are some literal aspects to them, but they are also uh, symbolic language. Ezekiel chapter 32. <clears throat> Verses 1 through 8. In the twelfth year, in the twelfth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, raise a lamentation over Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, You consider yourself a lion of the nations, but you are like a dragon in the seas. You burst forth in your rivers, Trouble the waters with your feet and foul the rivers. Thus says the Lord God, I will throw my net over you with a host of many peoples, and they will haul you up in my dragnet. So you see, he's saying, I'm going to send people after you, and I'm going to just pull you up in my dragnet. He says, I'm the one that's doing this. These are armies of wicked men but they're coming after you and i'm going to use them and so in that sense god's saying i'm coming for you he said i will cast you on the ground on the open field i will fling you and cause all the birds of the heavens to settle on you and i will gorge the beast of the whole earth with you i'll strew your flesh upon the mountains and fill the valleys with your carcasses. I will drench the land, even the mountains, with your flowing blood. When I blot you out, I will cover the heavens. I will make their stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon will not give its light. All the bright lights of heaven will I make dark over you and put darkness on your land, declares the Lord. Do you see that this is, this is prophetic? language that Jesus is using, it's going to be familiar to those people that are hearing him. And so when he says that he is coming, that the sun's going to be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in heaven will be shaken, what he's saying is, get ready for complete and total political, economic, and social collapse. That's what's going to take place in the first century. That's going to take place by A.D. 70. And we say A.D. 70 because that is when the final destruction of Jerusalem and the temple took place. It was completely destroyed. And, uh, and so Jesus is saying, this is, I'm coming. And they're going to see the sign. They're going to see, they're going to be able to perceive the sign Let's see what he says here. Because I'm, well, all right. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Now, again, Son of Man coming with clouds. That's a familiar statement, isn't it? The Son of Man 
coming with clouds. We can uh, read in Daniel chapter 7. This is good stuff right here. Listen. Daniel chapter 7 verse 13. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days. So here's, here's the son of man and he's coming with clouds, but where's he coming to? He's coming to the ancient of days. Who do you suppose that might be? Is that Jehovah? Is that, is that Yahweh? Is that the one who's seated on the throne of glory? Is that the Father in heaven? And so he comes to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him, listen, this is good stuff, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Hallelujah. That's exactly what is happening in this time. Jesus Christ has come, offered himself on the cross. The religious leaders have rejected the Messiah. And some of them possibly even knew that he was the Messiah. And they murdered him anyway. They hung him on the cross. They crucified him. But the third day he rose again. He ascended to heaven in the clouds. Isn't that right? And what happened there? He was given. <laughs> he was given a kingdom. And he is on the king. That's what Russ was. Pastor Russ was preaching this morning. He got that kingdom. He's got that kingdom. And so. That's. I believe that's what's going on here. Now you can. Uh, uh, you don't have to agree with me on this at all. But uh, I believe this is what's happening. Uh, Jesus is just uh, warning those that are hearing him that these things are going to take place. Now, let me, uh, let me read you some Josephus. Never dreamed I would ever go to the pulpit with one of these things. Okay, so Josephus, uh, and this is uh, uh, book six of uh, the Jewish wars or uh, Israel's wars. This is book six, chapter five, page three. And he, in, in page two, he's telling about these deceivers and how people were just uh, taken in by them to the point where they were when they were uh, uh, revealed 
to be deceivers, they still believed in them. Chapter, or page three begins, he says, Thus were the miserable people persuaded by these deceivers, and such as believed, such, such as belied God himself, while they did not attend nor give credit to the signs that were so evident and did so plainly foretell their future desolation. Now he's talking about some signs that literally took place during this time. And remember, Josephus was there. He is a historian. He was not a Christian, but he's giving an honest account of what's, what took place. He said, but like men infatuated without either eyes to see or minds to consider, did not regard the denunciations that God made to them. So he says, God's giving them signs and they can't see it. They're deceived and they're blinded. He said, thus there was a star resembling a sword. Now there are seven things that he says occurred during this time. He said, there was a star resembling a sword which stood over the city and a comet that continued a whole year. Thus also before the Jews' rebellion and before those commotions which preceded the war, when the people were coming great crowds to the Feast of Unleavened Bread on the eighth day of Xanthicus, and at the ninth hour of the night, this is the second thing, so great a light shone round the altar and the holy house that it appeared to be bright daytime which lasted for half an hour. This light seemed to be a good sign to the unskillful. In other words, people that didn't know any better thought, man, that's God's approving of us, but was so interpreted by the sacred scribes as to portend those events that followed immediately upon it. At the same festival, also a heifer, as she was led by the high priest, to be sacrificed, brought forth a lamb in the midst of the temple. That would be pretty shocking. Wouldn't it? Moreover, the eastern gate, so this is number four, the eastern gate of the inner court of the temple, which was of brass and vastly heavy and had been with difficulty shut by 20 men, rested upon a basis armed with iron and had bolts fastened very deep into the firm floor, which was there made of one entire stone, was seen to be opened of its own accord about the sixth hour of the night. Now those that kept watching the temple came hereupon running to the captain of the temple and told him of it, who then came up thither and not without great difficulty was able to shut the gate again. This also appeared to the vulgar to be very happy, as if God did thereby open them the gate of happiness. But the men of learning understood that it that the security of their holy house was dissolved of its own accord, and that the gate was opened for the advantage of their enemies. Uh, so these publicly declared that the signal foreshadowed the desolation that was coming upon them. Besides these, a few days after the feast, on the one and twentieth day of the month, Artemisius, and I, uh, I guess this will be the fifth thing, right? 
a certain prodigious and incredible phenomenon appeared. I suppose the account of it would seem to be a fable were it not related by those that saw it, and were not the events that followed it of so considerable a nature as to deserve such signals. For before sunsetting, chariots and troops of soldiers in their armor were seen running about among the clouds and surrounding of cities. Moreover, at that feast which we call Pentecost, as the priests were going by night into the inner court, this is number six, as their custom was to perform their sacred ministrations, they said that in the first place they felt a quaking and heard a great noise, and after that they heard the sound of a great multitude saying, let us remove hence. And then the final thing that happened was a man who, coincidentally, by his name was named Jesus, who was the son of Ananus, a plebeian and a herdsman, who four years before the war began came to that feast whereupon it is our custom for everyone to make tabernacles, so the Feast of Tabernacles, and suddenly began to cry aloud, a voice from the east, a voice from the west, a voice from the four wind, a voice against Jerusalem and the holy house, a voice against the bridegrooms and the brides, and the voice against this whole people. This was his cry as he went about day by day and by night and in all the lanes of the city. And he did this for several years. And they finally got so tired of it, they took him and beat him. And he didn't react to being beaten. He didn't say anything about it. He didn't uh, uh, say anything to the people that beat him. He just kept saying it over and over for years and years until finally the uh, priests decided that he was uh, uh, unpatriotic and not doing the right thing. And so they beat him and Josephus said they beat him uh, with whips until his bones were exposed. And yet he said nothing to them. But he said at every stroke of the whip, his answer was, woe, woe to Jerusalem. But finally, on the day that uh, this all ended, he was walking along the wall saying the same things. And then finally he said, woe to me. And as he said, woe to me, a rock from one of the catapults hit him and killed him. And that was his last words. So, you know, these are things that, uh, that a, an honest historian writes and tells us about. So this was a, uh, uh, a very obvious work of God against Israel. And so they, so you say, well, how did they see Jesus coming? Well, they saw his, the evidence of it. They saw the effects of him coming and, uh, and knew that he was, uh, when he said those things, he was quoting uh, from Daniel. Well, let me uh, 
uh, finish up real quickly. And so when Jesus is talking about his coming, now listen, this, this is uh, a quote from uh, John Gill. And he says this, uh, uh, talking about his coming. He says, uh, there's John Gill. He says, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be, which must be understood not to be his last coming in judgment, though that will be sudden, visible, and universal, but of his coming in wrath and vengeance to destroy that people, that people, their nation, city, and temple, so that after this to look for Messiah in a desert or in a secret chamber must argue great stupidity and blindness when his coming was as sudden, visible, powerful, and general to the destruction of that nation as the lightning that comes from the east and in a moment shines to the west. So, you know, when uh, Jesus says those words that we read in Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah, when he says those words uh, uh, to, uh, to Babylon and to Egypt, we can understand that, right? We know that they have always been the enemies of God. But the horrifying thing about this is that now what Jesus is doing, he's saying these words to Israel. They're the ones that are on the verge of collapse. They're the ones to whom he is coming in wrath. And he's coming soon. Not later, but soon. He's coming to them soon in wrath. I, you know, I actually have another page of notes, but I'll, I'll just stop. <laughs> but it's uh, there's just such amazing stuff here, and and I uh, I, I am so thankful. That God in his providence, I, I wish I had come to these understandings sooner, but God in his providence has allowed me to come at this point in my life to understand, or I think I'm understanding some things about this passage of scripture that opens up much more of scripture to me makes me as excited about prophecy as I've ever been, or maybe even more. Well, take these things. If you have questions, uh, please don't hesitate to ask. If I don't know the answer, i certainly tell you that I don't know. And uh, search these things out for yourself. Father, we thank you for your word. Pray that you would take it now and bless us with it. Bless your people with it. Cause us to see the truth of your word. Cause us not only to see that truth, but to live it. To live our, lights in the, our lives in the light of it. In Jesus' name.